This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. You're listening to Valley Football First and Goal, the official podcast of the Missouri Valley Football Conference on the lineupmedia.fm network. Now, your host, Kelly Burke. Happy New Year and welcome into a national championship edition of the MVFC First and Gold podcast. I'm Kelly Burke and uh, very pleased today to be joined by former NFL and North Dakota State standout defensive end, Phil Hansen, uh, who is currently the Bison radio color analyst for football. Phil, happy 2018 and welcome to the show. Yeah, good to be here. Yeah. Well, you have a busy week ahead, but um, before we dive into, you know, all things Bison football, I, I did want to get your reaction. You know, your your longtime and, and former team, the Buffalo Bills, are back in the postseason for the first time since 1999. And so, you know, how elated are you just to, to see them back in the playoffs? Well, Kelly, let me give you a little, little history on that. Uh, you can see how old I am. Now I'm 49 years old. I played on the last the last playoff. Uh, team that the that the Bills were in 1999. It was actually the Music City Miracle. Some people might remember that, um, where we we lost the game on a, a questionable throwback across the field on a kickoff. Uh, but that the last time about Ben and I actually played in that game. Nice, nice. Well, you know, as we said, you know, the national championship game coming up this Saturday. You know, it's a busy week for you. You know, take me through the preparation you know, for that game and getting ready to call it, you know, what you've done so far, and then you're getting ready, obviously, to fly to Frisco tomorrow. You know, what what the preparation will look like for the rest of the week? Oh, for me, it's not it's not a lot. I mean, I went back and I, I checked on the, the last three games that James Madison played, um, and when I get down to Frisco, I'll watch the game that NDSU lost to them in the, in the Fargo Dome, the semifinal game last year. I'll watch that game just to kind of refresh my memory as to the things they did, but um, just getting used to the names uh, again uh, on James Madison and, and watching them from a distance all season. Um, but uh, uh, the preparation will be, I've done most of my preparation already. I've got my notes uh, all made up. So uh, uh, just kind of take it in see what the local B writers are writing. I'm very interested to see if, uh, if it's, if it's a fallacy or if it's actually true that our two cornerbacks for North Dakota State may be able to play. Yeah. I don't know if that's a little gamesmanship, but that's actually legitimate. Yeah, and it seems like that's going on with, with both sides, too, because I know that their coach, um, you know, Coach Houston, was kind of doing the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's that's part of the game. And, and, and when you've got three weeks off, a lot of that stuff comes into play a little bit. But, uh, you know, once the game starts, there's no hiding what you what you have and what you do not have. Yeah. Well, I was talking, you know, with your broadcast partner, Jeff Colhane, earlier this week. And, you know, one thing he told me about you is that, you know, you have a very strong desire to still keep getting better in the broadcast booth. You know, and that probably a lot of it goes back to just that, you know, kind of player mindset that you had from playing football. Um and that after the season last year, you guys sat down and, you know, you talked about and you asked him, you know, what are ways that I can can get better, ways that I can be better? So it's obviously not something you need to do, but it's something that you want to do. You know, why is that so important to you? And, you know, how, how seriously do you take your role as, as the radio analyst for North Dakota State? Uh, I, I guess I do take it seriously. Uh, maybe it's just built in. I mean, I, 
of all of my football playing days, if there's 70 plays in a game, what keeps me up the night after a game um, is the three plays that I screwed up or wasn't in the right position. So, I mean, I guess I've kind of carried that over to the radio broadcast. You know, there was just, I got asked to do this on a whim, basically. And I, I said, what, what is color? What, what do you got to do? Are you just going <laughs> to talk about the game? That was my only um, education I had coming into it. And I just, you know, I believe that, that you always hone your skill or better your trade a little bit. So I have, I've asked uh, the guys, I said, Hey, don't, I, I'm, I can take it. Um, tell me things uh, uh, I can do to improve on. And so I've always asked them. And at the end of every year we get together and, and just talk about how it went, what some things we can improve on and some constructive criticism. And, uh, and I, I, I take that uh, and, and, and use it and keep track of it. You know, you have the great fortune of having played in three Super Bowls for the Bills. Uh, and then also, you know, having won two national championships with the Bison. You know, when you look back now on those games, you know, what stands out the most? Um, well, they're, they're different. I mean, college is different than pro. And, and actually, I was on three national championships with NDSU. Oh, three. Actually, okay, I'm glad you, good. I'm glad you corrected me. 1986. That was probably more work than the 88 and 90 teams that we wanted. But um, 1986, that was truly a red shirt. Um, but, uh, you know, the colleges... Uh, the college championships, I think, were uh, we were a more of a tight knit group. Not that we weren't tight knit in the pros, but uh, and I'm still friends with a lot of the guys uh, from college on those on those teams. Um, in the pros, it's just it's more of a not even a national; it's an international stage, really. Um, but having not won a Super Bowl, we lost all three Super Bowls that I played in. Having not won one, it's it's you know it just doesn't doesn't live up to the 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 championships that we had in college. Yeah. Do you still think about those games ever, the the, the Super Bowls? Uh, yeah, actually, and this year it's kind of unique because uh, the Super Bowl is coming coming back to Minnesota. Uh, well, well, the last Super Bowl in Minnesota was my first Super Bowl, Super Bowl twenty six. We played in Minneapolis, so I mean, I'll you know I'm still skirting around trying to trying to snag some tickets, yeah. which is probably a long shot, but. I've pulled all my connections at the Buffalo Bills and anybody I know. So I'm going to try to get some tickets, uh, but I'll probably go down for a couple of days beforehand, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday beforehand. If there's some activities, um, go down for that. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, it, it's pretty exciting time. And since it's so close to home, I figure I attempt to get there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, take me through as a player, you know, as a guy that's been there. And I know it's not, you know, it's more pomp and circumstance now you know in this day and age and you know the game's in Frisco now but what this week is like um from a player's perspective as far as you know playing for a national championship and just the emotions leading up to Saturday yeah I think more so you know when we played back in the 80s it uh you know it was playoff game we might have had two weeks in between our championship game but you know that that long layoff and then you got Christmas and New Year's thrown in there mm -hmm. I mean, that's a lot. Uh, there's a lot of distraction in there. You got to keep your eye on the prize. And it's never been so uh, more uh, critical this year because I think I think this is going to be a game where the Bison are going to certainly have their hands full. Not that they haven't in past games or past years, but James Madison is a contender. I mean, they haven't lost. Uh, so, I mean, they're, they're the real deal. That is a solid team. Well, speaking of James Madison, you know, What's neat about the game this Saturday is it's, you know, the first time I believe since 2011 that it's the number one and number two team playing each other for the national title. Um, you know, and like you said, they're very, very evenly matched, you know, two of the best defenses in the country. Um, both teams have overcome a lot of injuries this season. You know, when you look at JMU, you know, what jumps out to you about that squad? 
you know what? They <clears throat> some of my thirty thousand foot level uh, uh, points that I came up with were they remind me of NDSU. They try to run the ball. If they can't, they pass. They've got good receivers and they play good defense, um, which is not flashy. It's not sexy, but it it wins football games and. As I watched the games, I got into the second game, and I'm, I'm telling asking, I'm telling myself, this team reminds me of NDSU. <laughs> um, they've got and they've got good talent at all those positions. The receivers are good. Their their back is is tremendous, um, and their quarterback, you know, not going to throw 50 yard bombs every other play, but uh, uh, you know, he manages that game so well. He has great decision making. If the pocket breaks down, he moves one way a little bit. He recognizes that pressure is coming. He either tucks it down or, or throws the ball away, doesn't make mistakes. Brian Shore reminds me of Easton Stick a lot, and a lot of players remind me of Bison players. Yeah. Well, well speaking of one of their players, they have a young man, Andrew uh, Ankara, who is a, a defensive end for them, a, an All-American and NFL prospect. Um, you know, and as a former defensive lineman, you know, what do you feel like are, are your thoughts on slowing somebody down of his caliber? Yeah, he's definitely a guy that you're going to have to have to keep an eye on. But he's got some other teammates around that defensive line. I look at them as a unit. That defensive line is tough. They're smart. They're well coached. They're strong. Um, yeah, they're going to be tough to deal with. But you know what? NDSU's offensive line wouldn't want it any other way. They're good. They're big. They're tough. They're strong. So I really look forward to that matchup. And you know, I'm an old lineman, so I I don't always keep my eye on the receivers and the quarterbacks. I'm watching the, that line play. So. I'll be very interested to watch how that all plays out. Yeah, if you had to, uh, you know, break it down into a couple points, you know, what do you feel like will be keys for a Bison win Saturday? Yeah, I, I, I have broken it down. And I what I remember from last year's game uh, um, was that we, we ran the ball. There's The run from their corners and safeties was tremendous. So when we were running, it looked like we'd get an eight-yard run and we only got a two-yard run. Yeah. I can't remember how many times I remember that thinking okay there it's opening up and now it closes so we had to go to the pass and those those corners and safeties that they had i mean they were locked down for it um they uh rj Erzendowski, uh couldn't get open uh easton stick couldn't deliver him the ball because he wasn't open um and, and that's just a credit to their corners uh moreland is you know he's got a ton of intercept their safeties they work so well in tandem they work together um uh they're really good at supporting the run, run and covering the path difference is going to be can our receivers get open can our receivers get open and have we improved our receiving core from last year and i think i think the game will will, will evolve around that aspect yeah that makes sense you know let's dive in a little bit to you know the current ndsu squad you know what has impressed you in particular about this year's north dakota state defense um and just the the run that this team has had so far through the playoffs you know resilient i guess uh, uh, you talk about James Madison. I know they had a ton of injuries. NSU's had a ton of injuries too. Um, and now with the two corners of this last game that are supposedly out or quasi <laughs> maybe going to play, we'll see how that all plays out. But um, yeah, just the resiliency. And, and not only this year, but year after year. I mean, they've got a good product. They've got a good program. And you either buy into it or you don't. So a lot of kids that go by the wayside right away because they're not willing to either put in the effort or buy into the philosophy. And they go by the wayside. And these aren't just um, players. They're good athletes. Well, you got to buy in because th this is what we know works. It has. We've got a track record. So um, 
just just the year in and year out uh, uh, work that they do in the resiliency of the team. Uh, they, they have a next man up mentality. Um, and that next man up has been really good for a lot of years. Um, that next guy up when he gets hurt and the fans are crying, you know, that next guy up isn't very bad. He's a pretty yeah. good player. Yeah. Bill Cox is a guy we didn't even mention at the beginning of the year. Now, I don't know what, what we do without him. Yeah. Well, even even Seth Wilson at running back, you know, like what I mean, remember when everybody went down at running back and it's everybody's going, oh, no. And then it's it's been fine. <laughs> And another example, but next, next, uh, you know, next guy up mentality. I mean, and it, it seems to work. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, North Dakota state, I mean, it, they've really been a dominant football program since the 1960s. Um, you know, as you said earlier, you were part of three national championship squads. Uh, two of them were, were unbeaten when you were playing. Um, and, and back then you guys played in the, I believe it was the North central conference, uh, in, in division two, um, but what similarities do you see from the recent North Dakota State championship teams to the ones from the 80s that you were a part of? Oh, boy. You know, I've been asked that question a ton of times. And, I, you know, could could the 86 team have played with this team in, in their prime? And I don't know. I, I just get into that too much. I guess it's it's fun to listen to, but I don't interject too much because I just I, I don't know. But you're right. It was the NCC, the North Central Conference, and it's really kind of that uh, I-29 corridor is kind of coming back. You know, South Dakota State and North Dakota State went to Division One at the same time, and now University of South Dakota and, and you know, in a couple of years, University of North Dakota will be back. Those were four of the main state teams in the North Central Conference, and, and it's back. And we've got better competition, too. Um, uh, uh, you know, the basketball is a summit league, and but uh, the Missouri Valley with, you know, Northern Iowa, and there's a whole bunch of good teams there, too, in football. Yeah. So it's it's improved the conference tremendously. Yeah. Well, my conversation with Phil Hansen continues in just a second. But if you're enjoying this edition of the MVFC First and Gold podcast, check out all the lineup media group offerings, sports and non-sports podcasts. Now back to the show. You know, Phil, you were really close um, with former Bison play-by-play man Scott Miller. And, you know, following his death, you helped spearhead a scholarship in his name and his honor. Um, and I believe I believe you guys have raised over $50,000. Um, you know, and I understand the scholarship is given to a North Dakota State student athlete um, who wants to go into communications. And this year, uh, it, it, the first one went to Desmond Kane. Um, and so what memories, first of all, of Scott, you know, do you cherish the most? Yeah, Scott Miller was my partner, and he died of cancer. Uh, uh, well, it's been two years now. Um, yeah, it was tough to watch him go downhill. And I remember him, the last championship game he did, he couldn't carry his bags off, off the plane. I had to carry them for him. But wow. his voice was always strong right till the end. And just a just a gentleman. And, and uh, you know, you talk, talk about a guy who loved his trip and wanted to be a perfectionist at it. I mean, Scott was that guy. And, uh, yeah, when he passed away, we just – we we you know he didn't have a, a his his family was NDSU he didn't have a wife um his parents had died he had two brothers so we said you know in a few years nobody's gonna ever remember Scott so we did we started a scholarship fund for him um we raised about twenty two twenty three thousand dollars and then we got a twenty five thousand dollar anonymous contribution so oh, wow. um, we can give a two thousand dollar scholarship every year um in Scott's name to a and. The, the parameters on, on the scholarship recipient are um, a student athlete 
in women's basketball, men's basketball, or football, okay. because those are the sports Scott did at NDSU. Okay. So those uh, uh, a person in one of those sports meets the criteria, wants to go into communication or something to do with broadcasting, um, one of the student athletes will receive a $2,000 scholarship. So yeah, I was, uh, it was, it was nice to actually uh, uh, put that together. And it was a lot of work, but, uh, you know, in memory of Scott and all the great things he did, I, I hope somebody 10 years asks, who was Miller? And they can go look him up and see what he did and what a fine job he did do of his trade. Yeah. Well, and, and what a fitting, you know, that, that Des is the first guy because that's a guy that, you know, transferred in um, and probably, you know, probably never had the opportunity to meet Scott. Um, so I'm sure he's you guys have helped educate him and, you know, just what a great guy he was and what a prominent voice he was. Yep, absolutely. Uh, Desmond is a fine recipient for the first one. And we'll see uh, the athletic department picks who the who the athlete will be uh, determined on the parameters of the of the scholarship. So, uh, yeah, but I know every year I'll pay attention to who receives it. And if I ever get a chance, you know, I'll, I'll nudge him and say, uh, you know, who Scott Miller was. So, I mean, it means something to me, but I'm, I'm old as young kids won't know, but uh, maybe that's one chance to remind them. Yeah. You know, you grew up on a, a 4,000 acre farm in North Dakota and uh, I, I read and, and I correct me if I'm wrong. I think you still help your brother manage a 1300 acre farm. Um, you know, how did that upbringing shape you? Well, actually I, <laughs> I got into the NFL and my first signing bonus, I used to buy some farm land in nice. North Dakota. <laughs> um, everybody was telling me to buy a house or cars or stocks or bonds and you know, I guess I, I bought what I knew, and that was farmland. And it's it's been a good investment. My brother farms it now, but I my twelve year old son now, and we go back and uh, we're planting some trees on the land, and so we go back hunting and doing a few things here and there. But my brother pretty much runs it. But yeah, it was a good. It wasn't easy. It was a. I mean, I would I remember driving tractors to school and dropping them off at the dealership and walking across town to school, and when school was out. I'll bring the tractor home. Uh, I mean, that's just kind of the way you grow up in, in small town North Dakota. That's what you do. And uh, but it certainly it was a good upbringing. And uh, um, you know, we had, we worked had to work for everything we got, and um, things didn't come easy. And I remember my asking to play sports. I mean, my dad initially said, "No, no, we've got too much work on the farm to do." Well, playing sports wasn't wasn't was more to get off the farm because. When people say it's hard working, playing sports, I mean, heck, I thought that was fun. All my friends thought it was work <laughs> at practice. Heck, that was fun to me. I mean, if you want work, go out to the farm. I'll show you what work is. Yeah, because you, I mean, I'd imagine on the farm, you're probably getting up at, I don't know, five or six in the morning and working, you know, till six or seven at night when the sun goes down. Yeah, I mean, on a farm, you work when the work needs to be done. And that's usually in the spring and in the fall of planting and harvest. Um, but, you know... It's funny how your dad always finds something <laughs> for you to do. It's cleaning the shop or, or running into town to get parts. Yeah. yeah. Well, funny enough, you know, the, this kind of goes to the powers of Google. So, you know, it came up. Actually, there was an article in the L.A. Times from when you were in college. Um, and it was all about your family and growing up on a farm. And it talked to, you know, it was an article about you and your, your brothers. But it, it was from when you were in college and it still came up on Google. So Really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, well, you know, you also, as one of the things that's kind of a passion for you, you officiate high school football and basketball games. You know, what's, what's the transition been like doing that? And, and why did you decide to specifically, you know, do that area and maybe not coaching? 
Yeah, I, and I did. I got asked the coach uh, when it, when I first finished. I got asked the coach at uh, yeah high school and and college level. And we had our, our one year old daughter uh, at the time, and and um, you know, coaching just uh, uh, I knew the demand that it would take. And I had uh, 22 years of organized football, all consecutive in a row. And I just said I need a break um, from from sports and I just stepped back and uh but but the officiating thing kind of kind of caught my eye you get the best part you get the game you don't have to worry about meetings practice injuries uh you know kids not playing because of grades I mean you don't have to worry about any of that so I kind of picked up the officiating in football and basketball and um yeah I kind of stuck with it I'm actually doing a basketball game tonight oh nice um so yeah I kind of like it you get you get the best part you get the game and you get a little exercise in the process so so, um, yeah, I guess that keeps that's as good as I can do. Uh, keeping my competitive juices flowing is just watching the kids out there. Does it give you a new appreciation for for the stripes? I mean, you, you obviously see it from a much different side when you're a player. Well, it actually helps a lot with with college football. When I see a flag coming from a certain spot, I can pretty much predict it's one of two calls. Um, if they blow the whistle before the play, there's only three or four things that it can be. So it's really helped in the broadcasting booth. Um, tremendously. Now, there's some differences between high school and college that, yeah. you know, we don't have any replay in high school. So there's been some issues with that. But um, no, it's been hugely helpful for me in the in the broadcast booth. You know, in 2012, you ran for a seat in the Minnesota Senate um, and you lost what was a really close race. I'm just curious, where, where did your interest in politics develop? Uh, you know, I guess it kind of been laying in the weeds for for some time, I guess. Um, and I just, I like a good opportunity. There was a retiring Senator, um, and it seemed like something was something I wanted to do. And, um, just seemed like no opportunity better than the president. I uh, didn't turn out, like you said, uh, in the end, but, uh, it was a good learning experience. Met a, met a ton of people. And I, I wouldn't have believed all the things that are happening in the, in the district where I live, um, just out on farms and in towns and just saw a lot. So yeah, it was bad to lose. It, it stinks to lose but it was a it was a good experience all in all yeah you uh you're married and you have three kids you've mentioned a couple of your kids uh in our talk so far you know will your family get a chance to to come to frisco with you um and you know what what would you like to just mention or say just about your family and you know what they mean to you just day-to-day life well i've got a year old hope uh she just started driving this summer that's my daughter she's into dance so uh after frisco i'll be going Went to a lot of dance competitions in January and February on Saturdays. I will have my Dance Dad t-shirt probably worn <laughs> uh, competitions. Um, Jillian is my second daughter at 14. And then my son Ross is 12. Okay. Um, and I coached him in football, uh, uh, basketball, and baseball this summer. So I was his coach. He'll get into seventh grade and, uh, and into the high school coaching circuit next year. So, But that was a good experience. Um, he likes to snowmobile and plays video games. So uh, none of my kids will be coming to Frisco. <laughs> uh, my wife did come to Frisco a few years ago, but uh, there's too many kid activities going around uh, oh, on yeah. now. So yeah, I'll stay manage the fort while I'm gone for three or four days. Nice. You are an ambassador for the NFL Heads Up program. And, you know, the game is obviously, it's much different than when you played it back in the day. It just in, not only in terms of rules, but just how how injuries are approached now. Um, do you like the direction the game of football is headed? Well, I, I'm a defensive guy too. So all the protections on the quarterback, I, 
I actually, I, I don't think it's, it's it's fair. Actually, now I understand that you want to protect the quarterback in a vulnerable position, but um, I, I think it's got to be. I mean, everybody out there should have equal protection. And I mean, we fought in the NFL um, for the chop block for years before that was implemented. That was defensive linemen. A chop block is is when I engaged with an offensive lineman and another offensive lineman comes and cuts my knee out. Nobody ever says anything about that, but it took a long time to get that implemented. It's just you can't protect yourself from getting a blown-out knee. Um, but the way I see these quarterbacks protected now and the way I see these quarterbacks, you know, bait the official to, to call something, I just think it's that part of it is over, over the top. Now, the helmet-to-helmet contact, all that kind of stuff, the targeting, yeah, I'm all for it. I mean, there's no reason for some of that stuff. And the game has evolved. It's it's they've cleaned it up a lot. I mean, in 1991, when I when I first got into the NFL, they would sell a well, it was DVDs back then, but uh, they would sell a video that says the NFL's greatest hits. <sighs> well, I mean, on one hand, they're selling this to make money, and on the other hand, they got players injured and beat up because of it. So I mean, and they've corrected all that since then. But yeah, it's 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 an evolution in the NFL. But but you know, I think they're doing the right thing they're doing their best to make a a a competitive violent game to clean it up yeah what do you think is the long-term solution i mean so much is is made right now of the head injuries and concussions um you know and it's interesting to talk to to coaches and to talk to you know players that you know that played 10 years ago 20 years ago just because, you know, the, the things that they're doing now for concussions obviously were not being done back then. But at the same time, um, you know, it's almost like you, you have to baby players nowadays, you know, if they have any sort of regression as far as the concussion protocol goes, you know, they're, they're out for the next game. And so it seems like there's got to be a happy medium somewhere in there. Um, but I'm curious to know, if, you know, your take on, on what it might be. You know, it's a, it's a balance, and you're right. I see exactly what you're saying. I see a guy who's truly got a concussion and isn't taken out, and then and I see someone who falls down and, and, and says they have a concussion and want to sit out for the next week. I think most of those kids just want to be part of the team. I don't think they're really competitive or want to play. They just want to be around yeah. their players. And, um, yeah, I, I see it. But as far as the tools, I mean, they're doing – been, I've been tested a few times by the NFL – to see if uh, you know my genetic makeup is predisposed to concussions, because some people you see you see they, they fall strangely and they get a concussion. Other people take a hit that gives them they seem okay. I'm part of a study. It won't help me, but it'll help the next next generation of football players know if you're genetically predisposed mm-hmm. to concussions. Maybe you should choose another sport or do something a little less violent, I guess, than football. So there are strides being made, and I think a lot of them are the behind the scenes. But the things we see on the forefront, I agree with you. I mean, when I see some kids uh, come in and, and say they've got a concussion, they don't know what a concussion is. But the other thing is that having a concussion is very uh, subjective. I mean, you know if someone is concussed and they're knocked out. Everybody knows that. Yeah. But other than that, I mean, I, I would argue, and, and a lot of people disagree with me, I would argue that uh, I could tell people that have uh, concussions even more than, a, than, than some doctors can. Because I've seen it enough, I've ex- experienced it enough. I know what the what what it look, looks like. Uh, but a doctor can come in; they can give you a test or whatever. But they don't really know. I mean, an ACL, you know, you can do an MRI, you can tell. Um, and these micro concussive hits, you know, all these little hits 
you know, when, when you see stars after you, you hit, you know, you're not knocked out. You're like, whoa, what happened? Was that a concussion? Do multiple of them add up to something bigger down your life when you're 60 years old? You know, nobody knows, but we're, we're trying to figure that out. Yeah. Well, and it's even it's even rampant. You know, I don't know how much you see it in high school basketball, but I see it all the time in college basketball, even when I call games. You know, just somebody always has a concussion, it seems like. And, you know, that's part of the frustration for coaches, I think, a lot of times is because it's like, well, they were fine. You know, they were fine two days ago, but now like they had took a took a backward step. And now they're, you know, they're out for Lord knows how long because, you know, something didn't go exactly right. So it's just, uh, it's, it's, I guess it's a different yeah, it's era. Yeah, totally tough for coaches. It's tough for coaches. But, you know, the air on the side of caution, I mean, Kids at 20, you know, that, that you've got to live in that body <laughs> a long time. So, you know, you don't want to do, do something rash that's going to affect you, you know, 20 years down the road. So I, I do believe in erring on the side of caution, especially when it comes here. You've only been given one body and you don't, don't want to make it any worse. You know, you're clearly, you know, a very dynamic person that has a lot of interests, you know, even unrelated to football. What would you say, you know, your purpose in life is day to day now? Um, the, the Kind of the, the big football part of your life and, and career is, is behind you. Purpose in life. Oh, yeah. Or I, guess, I didn't know we were going to get that. I guess like what, uh, what I guess let me rephrase what what drives you day to day now? Uh Mostly it revolves around my family and, and my kids, but wherever I can fit in um, my expertise or my knowledge of football or sports, I I, I, I try to help out there. Um, but yeah, it revolves around uh, family and, and, and faith, I guess you'd say. Uh, um, yeah, I've, 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 I've been given a, a you know, I, could re- I retired at age 34. Um, so there's a lot of things I can do. You know, I do a lot of film things a lot on a lot of philanthropic boards um raise money for you know like the scott miller uh fund and um so you know i like doing those things and and they have a purpose and they will last forever so um yeah i guess i'll have to give any more thought to that but on the <laughs> surface that's kind of what drives me i guess yeah what would be your advice you know i think i think something that that no matter what age you are when you stop playing football or you know if you're playing whatever sport at a high level there comes a time where you know you're not playing that sport anymore and i think for some people that's a hard transition to make um whether it's at the you know at the end of their college career or at uh at the end of their pro career um so what advice would you have you know for football players just about you know moving on to what what is next in their life and and making that transition well, be multidimensional. I mean, you don't you don't live in one uh, one one stratosphere. I guess you you need to experience other things. If, if if your whole life revolves around football, the day you stop playing football, there will be nothing. So um, everybody should be diverse and and have uh, other things in their lives, no matter what they are, sports or or your job or or whatever your passion is. Um, and if your passion is sport, that's great. But know that when it's over. Um, you're going to need to head a different direction. That's hard to say to a 16-year-old who they don't care about anything but sport. But uh, um, yeah, as you get older, uh, yeah, always always keep your options open. Yeah. But, you know, finally, I just wanted to get your prediction for for Saturday, and I'm sure as a, a former Bison player um, and, and the radio analyst that you probably almost need to to pick a certain team, and you you would like to pick a certain team, but just you know your prediction for Saturday's game. You don't necessarily have to give a score, but I, I would imagine you probably think it'll be close. 
Yeah, I, I think it's going to come down to turnovers. The team that turns over the ball more is going to have a less chance of winning. Um, but these are two teams that covet that ball. I mean, they protect it like nobody's business. So I'm looking forward to a great game. Obviously, I want the Bison to win. Um, but I think when you look at the final steps, I think you'll see um, the team that turned the ball over more lost it, lost the game. I mean, so that's kind of my go-to stat. Uh, and I, I think I really – Two evenly matched teams here. I, I think that's going to be the stat that'll make the difference. Nice. Well, Phil, um, I wish you a, a great week in Frisco. I'm sure uh, it'll be nice, probably weather-wise, to go somewhere a little little warmer. Because I, I'm in I'm in the St. Louis area this week, and it's uh, I think it's three degrees outside here. So I can only imagine what it is in Minnesota right now. I'm guessing negative, I don't know, twenty or negative fifteen or something. Well, it hasn't been to zero in the last three or four days so in texas and when i say it hasn't been to zero it hasn't been above <laughs> uh, zero in yeah. the last three or four days so anything in texas is going to be better but you know you go to texas it's going to be 70 and it's not it's you know it's 40s and maybe a 50 but still better than here in minnesota yeah and i'm sure i'm sure at that point 50 will feel balmy compared to what it has been yes well i appreciate you taking the time and making the time this week um it, it was great to talk to you and uh you know best of luck this saturday on the call Okay, thank you. Thank you, Kelly. Bye. Tune in next week for another episode of Valley Football First and Goal with Kelly Bird, the official podcast of the Missouri Valley Football Conference, only on the lineupmedia.fm network. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and anywhere you get your podcasts. This podcast was a presentation of lightupmedia.fm.